Welcome to Feature Please, Hateful Voyage, the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm Peter. And I want to briefly shout out to our fans on Patreon and our supporters on Ko-Fi. We just did a little bit of cleanup there. We had some extra content that we released uh, to everybody that's been supporting the show on uh, the crowdfunding sites. Thank you very much. Uh, it's been a bit since we've mentioned it. We we keep the whole uh, uh, Patreon thing kind of as a low-key thing. We don't really need a whole lot, but much appreciated to everybody that does that. And in case you're interested and want to support the show, we're at www.patreon.com slash please. And uh, if you s- sign up, you get uh, access to all of the stuff we delete from our shows that I we decide not to air. The stuff I say, please delete. We actually delete, though, right? Did we? I, I Did I'm we? not a Patreon subscriber. <laughs> I don't know. You have to I pay hope. to find out, Peter. <laughs> this is a trap. I I haven't gone back through the the old episodes to find, shall we say, the the PG thirteen naughty bits. bits. The the not quite like going too far, but still going too far stuff. That in that sweet spot where we deleted it, but you know. Some of our bigger fans might appreciate it. We've been uh, really that, good about not getting any sort of like hate mail. So we have. We've done a really good job. Like if you think you're the kind of person who might send hate mail, if you've got that line in the sand, keep your money to yourself and let's just keep everything copacetic. That's my that's my plea to you, Internet. But if you are the kind of person who thinks to themselves, hey, uh, if Joseph and Peter did a whole bit about Janeway having sex with herself <laughs> while while discussing the episode deadlock patreon is for for you my friend we, we've got you covered but deadlock was so good it was it was actually a really good episode uh speaking of things that were terrible <laughs> uh, what did we watch this week i'm glad we're already on the same page as this goes season four episode three day of honor what a boring piece of shit. What a terrible <laughs> fucking waste of time. And this is the exact kind of shit that I was worried about. And that's when I think in my head before we started doing this, why have I not bothered watching Voyager? It is pretty much this embodied. Um, this is not an egregious offender like 37s or, uh, you know, Innocence twisted or elogium. I'd say this is actually probably closer to innocence, which was a Tupac and church. I got a little hate list. I put on my wall. I got to put my season three worst episodes on there so I don't keep beating up the same guys. But, you know, there's nothing viciously terrible about it. It's just this melodramatic. Poop, I'd say probably the best part of this episode is the beginning. I freeze the frame. I see what I see. It's uh, Cargo Bay 3 or whatever, which is where the Borg alcoves are. And we have Seven of Nine, who you have assured me is going to be one of the best acting forces and character development plots uh, in all of Star Trek. And right now I just see what I'm going to call some very dramatic under boob lighting. She's plugged in (laughs) and these warheads they have strapped into this cat suit for her just <laughs> are are underlit and it's all very dramatic and i i want to let's let's just jump into the most interesting part about this episode this outfit she's wearing yes yeah, i i would say the most interesting part of this episode is clearly 
Jerry Ryan's tits. I forgot how severe this silver cat suit was. They don't use it for very long. She ultimately gets uh, different uh, costumes that are, are, while flattering, not quite as rigid, I suppose. This thing is absurd. I mean, it it's like she, she has, what did you call them, warheads <laughs> attached to her? I'm pretty, I, I don't know if it's her nipples or they've got like nipples built yes! into the suit. Yes, the nipples. Stevie was just was transfixed. Every scene that she's in is like, why the fuck did they put like Batman nipples in that fucking suit? Either that is the coldest set in the world and Jerry Ryan can cut glass right now or they actually put those in and those are plastic. I don't know which it is, but I can't stop staring at him. Casey's watching it with me because now that Jerry Ryan's involved, she cares. And I'm pretty sure she's there for the acting. My, my wife's there to watch the acting and she's just like, I can't look at anything but her boobs. And I mean, I, obviously, that's my opinion on the, the the situation. But having my wife pointed out as well, and I don't I mean, obviously, I'm pro Kess camp. And I think they really started doing some progressive, cool stuff in Voyager. So as I've gone on at length, like, I hate that they're playing the sex card. But God damn, if it isn't a potent sex card, she looks amazing. And it really has me conflicted. Like, as a young kid, I would have had a very clear line of thought on this as an adult. Like, I don't, the struggle is real, man. And and I'm glad to hear that they're going to move away from it and she's going to establish herself based on her own merit. But uh, UPN knew what they were doing from that eye candy angle. And there's... I mean, they, they spared no expense. There's a shot late in the episode when she goes in to talk to Janeway in the ready room. When they shoot it wide, usually a lot of these scenes in the ready room, the shot real close, right? You basically get you from chest up, you know, sometimes uh, mm-hmm. from waist up as as people are, are in frame. They purposely shoot this wide. So you see Jerry, all of Jerry Ryan in this thing. And it is skin tight, like her, her like they got her in heels so yeah. her ass looks great. Like, I mean, they did everything in their power to sex her up to the max. And it's very effective. And it goes back, like you just referenced to our conversations of that was exactly what they intended to do. And if you yeah. look at the two notes big from, reasons two, <laughs> if you look at the notes from the prior episodes, apparently the studio was really pissed that they had her in the Borg outfit for the first two episodes. And that this this episode being the third of the season was the first time it was like all uh, silver katsu time. Yeah. yeah. And they just did everything they could. And, I, you know, like you said, at the time, it's clear what I would. I, I remember what I thought of this. Obviously, <laughs> I was very interested. Very and now oh, looking at. OK. <laughs> and, and and looking at it now. I'm just struck dumb at how gratuitous it is blatant and how distracting it is and blatant it is and what a disservice it is. It might as well be a fucking cartoon character though. That's how out of place this feels. It may as well be like steamboat Willie or, you know, fucking Popeye standing there talking to Janeway because that's how jarring her image is um, in what has been a very neutral environment, I guess I call it. And, And looking at her suit too, like, 
there's a lot of stuff in memory alpha about how bad the borg suit hurt to wear but looking at this thing like yes it's like strapped it in in a way that could not have been comfortable uh yeah i mean that looks like some back problems in that but uh we should probably talk about the actual episode here so she's i don't know showing off in uh cargo bay chakotay rolls in it's like hey you want to talk to me uh strong power play on her end making the exo come and see her very alpha props to props to seven on that and she's like uh yeah you know i'm bored i'm having a hard time with this being by myself thing and i'd like to have a job around the ship so uh, i'm thinking maybe you make me an engineer and chakotay is like yeah let me see what i can do we see very little like chakotay he it's a little odd considering the last couple episodes he was such a major factor in all of the Borg decision-making stuff. And he was really anti Borg Alliance and they don't really carry any of that over into this episode of like any hesitance on his part of like having this Borg be part of the crew and be involved with ship operations. He, he essentially ends up having to force it on Bolana to say, I don't care that you don't like it she's gonna be an engineer go fuck yourself let's talk about that for a second at does there become an animosity between him and seven because ultimately he was the captain and she was the voice of the borg and he jettisoned her whole fucking crew he tried to kill her like yes i think this would be and not that I would expect it out of the show that swept his dirty terrorist origins under the fucking rug to the degree that they have to whitewash his past and only focus on his Starfleet and not his, uh, you know, days flying around in his space. Camaro <laughs> causing problems in the briar patch. Uh, but I, I this would have been the great time for him to be like, you know. Hey, sorry, I tried to kill you and her being like, yeah, fuck you. I won't spoil for you what happens, but you're going to hate it. There, I did it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, uh, Ultimately, uh, we we cut back down to Balana. We get actually some uh, Ensign Vorik action. I guess he's uh, he's out of the penalty box for all of his sexual harassment and attempted rape. And he's right back up in her shit, too. Like there was no mending the bridge between these two like shown on screen he's just right back into there to pissing her off and challenging her and Bolada's having a little conversation with tom about some kind of ritual that uh she was supposed to take part in and she's having a bad day you know her shower broke her alarm didn't go off everything is going wrong at work and she doesn't feel like doing day of honor Klingon stuff. She stuck working with the guy who tried to rape her. I know, right? Real bummer. It's funny too and, that they got Vork in this uh, and that Chakotay's so small of a force and you don't even get to see the doctor once this whole episode. Yeah, absolutely no Bobby Picardo. Ultimately, Chakotay comes down and says, hey, good news. Uh, the Borg might still be a traitor, wants to come work next to the giant explosive device that's also our propulsion uh, technology. And she's like, but that seems like that would be a bad idea because she's a Borg. And last time she worked on anything, she tried to, you know, betray us to the Borg. And I don't want her here. And she's like, nah, tough shit, whatever. 
we need a plot for this episode. So this is the Saved by the Bell uh, kind of problem we're putting you in. <laughs> New kid at school. Is he going to get along? Stay in and might. Uh, AC Slater of nine. <laughs> I did want to fall back to her. Wait, wait, hold bad... on. Can we follow through on the thought of if this were Saved by the Bell, which members of the main crew are what characters? I think that that's worthy of exploration. Uh, because Harry's going to de- be Screech. Damn it! <laughs> Paris is Zach. Yes. Principal Belding is the doctor. In my yeah. opinion. Because he's kind yeah. of a... He's, it's not Janeway because uh, Belding is too much of a goof. Okay, uh, which of the Voyager cast is going to go on to star in Showgirls? Seven of Nine? No, because she's A.C. Slater. Okay, that's true. Um, hmm. Who looks like they're most likely to go on a coked out binge? Oh, hey, Jennifer Lean. Hey. All right. Anyway, moving on. I think we've mined that one. (laughs) We got to move on. So the the Balana bad day that she's having, she does throw out something interesting. It's kind of a throwaway line, but she mentions that two people are out sick. Do sick days exist in the Federation? I mean, you've got this magic space medicine available to you yeah that was weird like wouldn't you just go to the sick bay and then you would get injected by magic space juice and go back to work i mean worst case scenario the doctor just kills you and reanimates you right i can only assume in my mind that these when they say sick that's it's just like mental health days like the federation antidepressants aren't really getting a good hold (laughs) and the terrible depression and terror of your plight are sinking in and you just need a day to kind of take it easy maybe go to the Uh, lieutenant smith Lieutenant Smith tried to hang himself. He's got. To, he's gonna have a mental health day today. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a shit episode, and I hate pretty much everything that Bellana and Paris end up in. But I think this episode does do a pretty good job in some ways of developing Bellana. And as she starts talking about this, uh, this day of honor ritual she's supposed to go through i guess it's never really dawned on me before that she's kind of a nerd you know they always focus on her rage and everything else but she for whatever reason in this episode really sunk in that she is supposed to be this one thing which is a klingon warrior at heart and that she just wants nothing to do with it she feels at home around warp cores and advanced artificial intelligences apparently and, and that's her thing. She's she's a kind of geeky, shy science girl who just has this genetic disposition towards flipping tables. And uh, I don't know why, but it, it I, I really appreciated the depth of uh, of what that presented. And it's something we never really saw in Star Trek before. So I think it was a, a good moment to realize it. But I mean, the also- most the most effective violence, I think, that Bolana offers is like breaking Harry Kim's nose in the pilot and then eventually throwing it. A... <laughs> oh, Joe Carey mm-hmm. and, uh, and throwing a cup at Chakotay's feet, <laughs> his ankle. Yes. That's a wicked An- ankle assault. But this episode also paints her as a terrible hypocrite, starting with, uh, her refusal to kind of have anything to do with this Borg technology marriage. Like she is supposed to come from this real scrappy background of you use whatever you can get your hands on. And the Maquis had limited resources and you got to do what it takes. And now she's got the chance to explore transwarp technology. And she has this conservative 
risk averse streak that I don't think we've ever had a hint of before, but that's like, that's what she's got both hands on this episode. And it seems very anti Bellana. I know that the hesitance has to come to create plot tension, but every other time Bellana has had contact with advanced technology that could get them home. She has been like super all in uh, going all the way back to their encounter with the Skeevians in season one. And Blatant her mutiny, yeah, yeah, her 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 engaging in a conspiracy with Seska and Tuvok to commit mutiny <laughs> to get them home. Like the fact that this Borg lady is on the ship and is like, "Hey, I'm just going to open up a quick, you know, time space butthole for us to just, you know, scoot, scoot on through <laughs> and go home." Like sh- the fact that she isn't like 150 percent in on that, as- aside from her personal loathing of Seven of Nine. Uh, as as a reason why is a little weak and I do want to like some of the backstory they've built in with her being a court of Klingon nerd and not really into Klingon culture and being at war with wanting to kind of like it like you know she wants to go to synagogue but she really she she doesn't necessarily want to deal with everything that that means you know so, you know she and and that's neat, but unfortunately, to get there, we have to slog through yet another a round of the least passionate, least chemistry romance ever seen on television, and that's her and Tom. And whatever they had going on in some of the smaller scenes earlier and their interactions and blood fever, which I thought was really well done, everything since then has been so bad. So that, bad. That epi- the the episode with the the sad sacks invading it was bad and this is just worse it's like i get nothing from them that suggests they're like meant to be or in love or into each other in any real way i just don't and because they, you're taking an inch of what they're showing you on screen and they just recycle that same inch over and over and over again they're not giving you any new ground to cover before we get too deep into that terrible romance, I want to jump back to Seska. <laughs> okay. Because when uh, Balana's arguing with Chakotay about like, no, she's not coming on here. And Chakotay's like, no, she just wants to help and this and that. And Seska, or I'm sorry, uh, Balana hits him with this line that I never thought you to be naive, Chakotay. And it's like, were you not there for basics one and two when Seska just totally... Yeah played the fuck out of Chakotay and got everybody stranded on the fucking surface of dinosaur volcano planet. My lovely wife mentioned that exact, exact thing while we're watching it. She, 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 her exact response to that was, I'm pretty sure you were there for Seska, Bolana. <laughs> like he is super duper naive with anything having to do with women. Yeah. He, he got suckered into being part of a Borg collective cult after Borg having cult. after having Borg sex that everyone else got to experience, too, probably. Yeah. Um, I also want to say one other thing about Bolana. Uh We had Matt DeChico on the trauma support group throw up a cracked article. Uh, sucking Roxanne Dawson's dick about what a great actress she is. And in it. It points out, and I'd never noticed this before, her prosthetics, the, the Klingon ridge on her forehead, the eyebrows are like 
painted on. Her eyebrows do not move. And all of the physical acting she does is without the use of those eyebrows. And once that has been that pointed could... out to me, I cannot look away from it. And it's magic to me that she moves her face the way that she does without eyebrows moving. And I don't know how she does it. It's amazing. Yeah, all the kudos in the world we obviously noticed the same thing and started really looking for it and you can tell where where it's painted on where it would mm -hmm. have to be because of how much makeup she's wearing it's like oh of course those have to be fake right like they're on top of her ridges you know like those are clearly not real uh but she does such a good job of being expressive with her face you don't can't tell and we've praised roxanne dawson's acting ability i think at length in the past you know she's always like pushed into having to do like the most extreme shit yeah and have all these huge emotional swings and she very often is able to sell it probably better than anyone else could have and uh it makes me appreciate more just the the effort she has to go through in every scene she's in to express a character's emotions that already has extremely strong emotional swings to begin with like it's it's challenge upon challenge it's funny. I mean, we're sitting here going on about how great she is. And yet this is such a terrible episode. And it's 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 not her fault. It's not her fault. It's like the stuff with her coming to terms with her heritage, I think, felt good. The stuff with Tom was all garbage. And it's not that she's bad. And it's not that uh, Robert Duncan McNeil is bad. And it's not that Paris isn't interesting and Bellana's not interesting. It's just it's a dud concept, man. And it's like you said, yeah. we, we've seen them together in the past. It's worked really well. And for whatever reason, these guys cannot staple it together for shit in this episode. And I don't think it's their fault. I think it's just crappy scripting. The angle for the two of them should not have been that Bolana's closed off and Tom wants to get to know her. And he's kind of like a fucking horn dog or whatever. And, you know, a rogue and. And, and it's it and he's grown or something like that they're both outsiders they're both like tom is a former convict balana is a former terrorist and their their bonding should have been in that they both come from the outside they both have questionable experiences with their parents having them bond immediately over those experiences and, and grow in a relationship out of those shared experiences would have been so much more powerful and interesting than, Oh, you have to let me in instead of building these walls and kind of this like nineties melodrama shit. Not only nineties melodrama shit earlier in this season, earlier in last season, you can only ring a bell so many times. And I feel like every other episode they're getting stranded in space or on Hoth or some other goofy jail scenario where they're together and oh, you put up these walls. You won't let me in. OK, one and done. I don't need to keep hearing it. You don't need to keep. I understand that as a as a series, you're not aware of your previous episodes, but let's not just regurgitate the same thing over and over again. Ultimately, uh, Chakotay tells Bolana, tough shit. You're going to have seven to nine down here fucking deal with it and she gives him the old yes sir and uh we cut up to the bridge so the the main thrust of the plot in this episode has to do with a new alien race that we're introduced to that i like to call the boneheads because they have uh a very pronounced uh 
skeletal structure on their face. It's some great makeup. It's uh, some uncommonly good makeup. And Stevie pointed out, and I, I believe is correct, I think they might have been CG the first time we saw them because of the way the mouth moved. It was it was very unnatural looking. I when we- chalked that up to their language being so drastic that the Universal Translator was like, trying to lip sync them and i thought that was really cool and i was sad when we got to see him in person that that lip sync issue was not still there maybe it was just like a timing issue with the lip syncing on the green screen or something but it looked unnatural but when we actually get to see them on screen with our heroes the makeup they put these guys in it's like the opposite of the bullshit they've been they pulled earlier on in the series like By, they put you mean Max the effort in yeah yeah so these guys look like Squidward from SpongeBob. They're the same color, bluish green with this big, I don't know, kind of pterodactyl bone coming off of the back of their head. And then their face is gross. Their face looks like you ever see like, the, I don't know if they're frogs or toads or what, but like the tadpoles live in the mom's back. And then one day they all just shoot out and leave this like tryptophobia holy nasty crevice flesh behind that's like their face so they're ugly as hell they're like these gross bird people bulb heads and yeah had some pretty extreme makeup uh i don't remember what their name is but they got a they got a pretty strong sob story that they used to be proud and advanced and the borg fucked their shit up and now they are in a desperate bad place and hey federation would you please help us out? It was like for a brief moment, Battlestar Galactica met Voyager. Like the the backstory of the idea that these guys got decimated by the Borg and they're like the desperate survivors of their race that have become these, you know, hobo scavengers is really cool. And them running into the technologically advanced and you know resource plentiful you know federation starship is an interesting idea like that core is interesting it is unfortunate that we spend the least amount of time of the episode exploring it we get introduced to these guys we get the sense that they're just kind of skeevy now because of all the bullshit they've had to deal with and they kind of act like jerks later and eventually go away. You know where these guys belong would have been somewhere in season three as a they precursor do. to uh, ahead there be dragons. Yes, the Borg are going to be a part of this TV show. The Borg have ruined us. You're going into terrible dangers. Let me tell you all the stuff we complained about in uh, Scorpion one about the lack of commitment by the writer's room to make the Borg happen. So like how convenient that now that they've been through the worst of Borg space and and been, you know, through Scorpion one and Scorpion two, now we're going to be getting all this world building and, you know, the ravages of the Delta quadrant. Uh, if only they had known that you should have lived on the other side of Borg space and you would have been perfectly fine and completely exempt. But uh, yeah, they, they play the card of, Hey, you got to help us. And I thought there's some pretty cool, expressions on people's face around the bridge because again this is the federation's worst fear is one day the borg are gonna roll through town they're gonna bring the federation <clears throat> down and they're gonna scatter starfleet to the four winds and maybe there'll be a little 
flotilla of uh, of capable ships. You know, Thomas or uh, William Riker with his crazy beard and, you know, right. the consoles blown up from um, whatever next gen episode that was. Worf's Day, I think. Uh, but he- here we got him now. And everybody looking around the bridge is like, yeah, I feel really bad for these guys. And Janeway's like, all right, you know, we don't have a lot of stuff around here. We don't have any coffee. Sorry. <laughs> we, we didn't have... <laughs> We just didn't have it in us to kill that space, baby. We had to roll on our back and run away peeing. Um, but we're going to give you what we can and uh, and and good luck to you. The other part of the episode has to do with Balana trying to deal with her heritage and not having a good good go of it. Um, she has an interesting pep talk scene with Neelix, which is conveys Neelix's uh, compassion for everyone on the ship. Or I'm not quite sure, quite sure how to take it either that or he really has got this tuned in fetish of being like yelled at by Klingons. That's what I, that's what I put in my notes is that Neelix Neelix enjoys being abused by the ladies and maybe even the guys. And for all I know, or, you know, Joe, that in the Tuvok Strangle Simulator, Neelix might have known about it. Neelix might have snuck onto the holodeck and replaced his own hollow self so he could get throttled by daddy. You don't know. And and everything that I'm seeing in the scene here of him being like, hey, why don't you just yell at me and you can strangle me and hit me and spit in my mouth and put cigarettes out <laughs> on my eyes and it'll just be between us. Call me a little bitch. <laughs> just just slap me and call me a little whore. You can ask. It'll be fine. Who peed on my couch? I know this doesn't wash out. This stains for good. And then just spank me as many times as you want because I've been a naughty little kitty. <laughs> Kess left behind yeah. these skin tight outfits and these boots. I could wear them. I could be your naughty little kitty. Uh... Before, <laughs> I'm sorry. What? <laughs> I just got this vision of him. I just got this vision of him in Polana's quarters. You know, like chained up, little collar on, like meow. <laughs> just when you thought the the meow. just when you thought the uh, never ending journey dragon picture was going to be the worst thing you saw Neelix in this week, here this comes. <laughs> My wife has been paying attention to our conversation. Please don't draw any pictures. This is, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. You should draw Peter a picture of exactly what we just I described. Say, I, I, will not be the first, I will not be the first one to post it. I, in group, I'm sure. I hope nobody does. Uh, before she even has this conversation with Neelix, though, she has her confrontation scene with Seven and Nine down in engineering. And this is where we're going to get hit with uh, big hypocritical moment number two for Bellana. Which is where she kind of crawls up her ass because, uh, you know, there's this conversation with these war ravaged Borg victims and and woe is them. And Blana rolls over and she's like, you know, how does this make you feel and like she's being a real mega bitch about this whole thing to trying to pick this fight? Which I feel is completely unwarranted because her argument is, you know, you've done terrible things. You've been part of this force that has done terrible things and you have no remorse for anything you've done and shame on you, essentially. And it's like, uh, I seem to recall, Balana, season two, uh, Dreadnought, where you were the mastermind architect of taking this 
Cardassian weapon of mass destruction and trying to repurpose it so it could go blow up a whole fucking planet or whatever your your plans were. And all this other terrorist shit you've done in your past where you've just done whatever is necessary to bring your enemies low with no fucks to give. And uh, now you're going to be over here throwing throwing rocks at uh, Seven of Nine's very pointy house. That's a great, like, what if scenario is like, what if Seven of Nine's come back instead of just point you like instead of having the script just pointedly say look at how little she cares about remorse and make part of the episode's plot about how she starts to try and connect with emotions that if instead she actually fired back with you know do you feel remorse for all of the things that you did when you were a maquis all of the people that you killed or did you consider it that you were acting in in a cause that you felt was righteous and therefore the actions you took were perfectly appropriate? I'm, that is how I felt. Therefore, I feel no remorse. Like, what if she was able to connect that uh, in, in her response? Instead, it's just no. And later on, I'm going to have a little moment where Tom, like, makes himself uh, emotionally available to me and I'm going to start to think that like I should be helpful and give things to people. It's, it's a disservice to the, I, you know, the, the character and, and, and making her so one dimensional in this episode. It's like, Oh, okay. The, the Barbie dolls learning how to have a heart. Ooh. And it's also, I think again, further whitewashing the terrorist origins of all the Maquis characters away. Yeah. It's like at this point, former Maquis status is a footnote rather than relevant in any way. And I also think that there's been this changing of the guard and a passing of the torch. We've left sweet, innocent Kess behind for stripper outfit Borg. And as you just talked about earlier, Tom and Balana, and to the greater extent, you know, the majority of the Maquis crew were supposed to be these outsiders, right? And and our Maquis bridge crew were supposed to exemplify that. And, you know, we come from a different background where, you know, things were much more gray and we've done terrible things and we don't get along. Blah, blah. At this point, now they're like, okay, we've got seven and nine. We need to make her really seem like the outsider. And that means making everybody who had these sharp pointy edges before that much more vanilla and turn them into the, the inner circle. Now that seven and nine is going to stand outside of you are correct. I don't want you to be correct, but you're right. Like that makes so much sense as to why they are doing it this way. Like we have this new character and we need her to be the bad girl. Different her differences to be so stark that we have to eliminate all the other differences. Yeah. And now people like Bolana and Chakotay and Dolby, wherever he might be, RIP. <laughs> uh, and Paris. No long- yeah. And Paris too. You're absolutely right. And they bring that, they bring, they do a little bit with Tom later on of like, of, of bringing that back. And I think in an effective way, but everybody else, like, I don't think that there's a single time for the rest of the series. And this is season four. We got years to go where I can say like the Maquis crew members do Maquis shit and their Maquis origins matter in some elemental way. That's very depressing to hear. And again, you know, when you make 
Bolana, who was the hothead rebel or bad boy Tom, and and you make them the norm simply so that Seven's the outlier, like, I don't know, squandered potential. But uh, yeah, Bolana plays the stunt and tries to like, what's the word you use? Other. She, she tries to other uh, Seven of Nine. And it's janky and dumb, and yeah, okay, she's an unfeeling robot. Uh, we move past the Neelix scene where he offers for her to spit in his mouth and uh, use him like a toilet or whatever is going to happen. And this someone little, draw that. This little fantasy that he's got for himself, and somewhere in there, it convinces Balana that hey, maybe she should give this. Klingon Day of Honor a shot and we get a very fascinating insight into the world of Klingon traditions and that is Klingons love to eat and the tradition of Day of Honor is just basically we are going to eat a million pounds of everything starting with blood pie onto like targ fruit snacks and then like some K-less cup piss wine and I don't then I think she had to like eat a swimming pool of jello and might have been what a- I likened it to is that apparently the Klingon Day of Honor is an episode of Fear Factor. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Start by eating worms and shit, and then you like work your way up to jumping off Four of sticks. a bridge or something. Like I don't know. It's an episode of Fear Factor. And Balana decides after completing the first couple challenges that the $10,000 for winning isn't worth it. And decides to bail before instead of ending the the program beating up the simulations and running away which was weird definitely a moment where stevie says i'm pretty sure that that is a small asian man in a wig (laughs) as the stunt coordinator and not (laughs) roxanne dawson regardless she bolts and then she and tom have an oddball conversation in her quarters where she's like you know pouty and has a blanket and you know, if this were any more 90s, she'd be eating a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream in her feels about, you know, why she's angry about being a Klingon. It's it's really bad because Paris is a really abusive and terrible friend in this scene. And he just <laughs> like makes it all about himself like he did yeah, he exactly does. in the fucking sad sack episode. And that's what I'm saying. Like, this is all retread. This is her having insecurities about herself. And this is, again, the sad sack episode. They they try doing like. Klingon Tai Chi or whatever and she storms off because she doesn't want anything to do with it and then Tom's all like but we did this together and I think you owe me an explanation no she doesn't Tom bitch are you for real no she does she doesn't owe you shit come on and it's stuff we've seen before it didn't work then it's not working now and it just makes me hate this episode they I don't even want to justify the rest of this conversation with anything yeah the let's Let's fast forward a bit here because the episode itself, it's just kind of boring and stupid. The little bits of interesting content that 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 poke out are the idea behind the aliens, their makeup, the idea behind Klingon culture and Bolana's place in it, and then the engineering fuck up. <laughs> like the disaster that happens in engineering is that they attempt to open the, you know, the transwarp conduit the the borg space-time butthole so they can just kind of saunter on home which is a big fucking deal this is right 
for short of like Q or Kess nudges, the fastest way to travel in the galaxy. And the only people we've seen be able to do this are the Borg and the dinosaur people of, of, uh, of not mattering anymore because we never see the dinosaur people again. But, you know, if they can get their hands on transwarp technology, get back to the Federation and proliferate it through the Federation. Now you're cooking with butter. They make the attempt and like they start to set things up. Something goes wrong. And essentially the warp core is being flooded with contaminants and is going to breach. And what they do in order to have the ship not explode is, I think for the very first time ever seen on Star Trek, is that we get a warp core dump. So Voyager, like this is actually on all the technical specs too, and I thought it was cool the way that they showed this, is that a Intrepid class ship as a safety precaution so that the ship doesn't necessarily explode if there's a core breach like obviously what happened to the, uh, Papa D rest in peace is that the ship is capable of essentially ejecting the core into space and allowing it to do whatever it's going to do out there. If it's going to breach, then it breaches and the ship is actually still intact. I'll be without a warp core and therefore has very limited power, but intact. I don't think they that's think just that's... an intrepid thing. I think any Federation starship, can eject the warp core because I'm pretty sure there's a whole part of that in the next generation technical manual for the galaxy class. Um, that's one of the sticking points. Always like you could have done this. Why did you destroy the whole ship? And the coolest part about this entire sequence is that they show it. A lot of times in star Trek, we end up with like the 37's fantastic world of tomorrow that you don't get to see. It's an off screen narration. And this you know, they put the CG in and you see a hatch open on the bottom of Voyager and it just poops this core right out. They actually even have a shot of them going back into engineering and it's not there. How cool it's was it? very that? like, yeah, I was like, that's very weird. Like this, that's, oh boy, you really did fuck up today. Like, where's the engine core? Oh no. And they talk about how like, uh, well, now we don't have main power. We don't have warp drive, obviously. And. All our shit's all seized up from the fact you you basically had to eject our power source. So we've got to go to go get this fucking thing. We've got to go out in a shuttle, right? We got to go tow it back. One scene we skip that does become important is as uh, the Big Bird people are being taken off the ship, given their their beggar scraps. The main character, who is really our only visual of this entire species he's on his way to the transporter room and tom's walking with seven and for whatever reason he's like who is this what is this thing uh what species is that and tuvok's like oh it's a human that used to be a borg and then he's like ah the borg took everything from me uh i'm gonna kill her and beat my family's location out of her like why would he care at all about seven and nine? It's not like she's walking around in her crazy thing. She's got some shit on her eye and like some super tight clothes. Yeah. It's like, why the fuck would this guy be like immediately care? Like what that human who looks slightly different, 
who is this supernaturally beautiful supermodel that is on this ship of okay looking people? One of these things yeah. is not like the other. <laughs> Tell me about this. I'm getting a Why weird... is that woman wearing a clingy silver outfit that makes her tits look amazing? What and is the rest she... of you are in these dumpy black jumpsuits? What what is this creature that is doing strange things to my loins with her aura? Tell me more about her. I'm strangely attracted to this one. That was stupid. I thought that the the bridge there was going to be like on the bridge. was like, oh, yeah, these guys sucked. We uh, really bent them over the table and and <laughs> they were an easy speed bump for the collective. Him be like, why is she talking like that? Oh, tell me she's not a fucking Borg. No, instead, he's got this real hokey passerby in the hallway and and flip out moment. Um, yeah, that could have been a real moment where her if they're going to like talk about her lack of empathy, that she could have had some encounter with him that mm-hmm. her, her lack of empathy got her into some shit with him. And then later on, like hit her doing a, a, them a solid is is her attempting to make amends. You know, like she was they on, could have connected this in a much better way than they did. She was on the bridge too with Jane when this guy laid his sympathy speech out there. Uh, I was really like, as I expected her to saying, "Yeah, these guys suck. They deserve what they got, and you should not give them any resources because they are unfit and uh, they suck." And that really reinforce that she still has this alien mindset and that she needed to have this personal growth point. So I was very confused that they didn't play up her antagonist angle. And I think that would have been a good way to, for Bellana to kind of dogpile her. Maybe an earlier revision of the script actually had that. And that's why Bellana was such a bitch to her, but whatever it's, it's weak. It's dumb. Uh, they dump the core. They're stuck. Now picture this. You're, you're Voyager, you're Janeway, right? Your ship is completely fucked and your gasoline, your engine is blown out of the road like three exits back. How do you address this? Because if you say I send out one fucking rinky dink shuttle, one death cart and think that that's going to cut it. I send out shuttlecraft for the stupidest reasons and blow them up by the droves yet to get my fucking warp core back i can't afford more than one shuttle and of all the shuttles it is the shuttlecraft cochran which has a pretty fucking bad track record of disasters on its hands already cochran so, of course being from transwarp uh from uh yeah this Russia. one warp point warp 10 apparently uh, so this is shuttlecraft number 13 the the fact that it it took like it was the third priority. Okay, let's fix this. Let's fix this. Oh yeah, we got to get the warp core. Um, Tom, why don't you just go uh go out there and just go grab it real quick? Like, why the fuck isn't it like the very first thing? Chakotay, scramble every shuttlecraft we have, surround it in a defensive matrix. Mm-hmm. We are one hundred and ninety percent fucked if. That thing explodes or gets messed with in any way. A rock your hits mission, it. yeah, like your mission is to make sure that that precious baby is not is not in any way disturbed. That it gets fixed by whatever ninja shit Bolana's got to do to fix it, and then we get that shit plugged back in because otherwise we're just dead once these batteries are out. And me, no, ain't nobody going back home. That's for damn sure. Let me lament I'll this. I'll make a deal with the Borg to go home, but I won't send two Type 9 shuttlecraft to go get my fucking warp core to go home. Jesus Christ. Please, you're going to make me fucking flip over. <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's what your real episode should have been. Cut all this other melodrama about fucking Bolana's 
you know, bad day or whatever, the 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 level of disaster of losing your warp core, that could have been a fucking two story arc in and of itself. And instead you just surround the one of the coolest things I think Voyager's probably ever done, jettisoning the warp core, like have the Kazon actually steal it and them have to go on an adventure, get back. Like you could on a million and one sweet things with this. And instead you get these mopey ass Squidworth aliens uh getting the leg up on them because they only sent out one fucking shuttlecraft. So 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 here's what happens. They send out Tom and Balana because why would you want to have your chief engineer on hand to fix all the problems that they just caused in this botched tachyon trans warp thing. They get out there, they find it amongst their their casual flirty conversation. And they're like, oh look, there's those guys we just gave a bunch of free shit to. And it looks like they're trying to uh, steal it. There's no like SOS back to Voyager like, hey, this is what's going on. They're like, let's just try to antagonize them by disrupting their tractor beam. They get overpowered. The whole integrity, for whatever reason, falls apart. And the shuttlecraft's like, yeah, I'm going to blow up now. So Tom and Balana get on these uh, first contact spacesuits beam out into space i thought it would at least be cool enough to like open the door and jump out instead of they they transport outside they've got a little stretchy janitor keychain leash between the two of them and uh now we have what's going to be the rest of the episode and it's tom and balana stranded in a hostile environment where things are too cold and or not enough air and they're probably going to die and they're gonna have to discuss their feelings uh in a very mopey melodramatic way that nobody wants to see Yup. They literally it's did just... it in the Sad Tech episode where they were slowly freezing to death on Hoth Planet. Bored. It's this time now in spacesuits. I mean, is there any anytime there's a spacesuit involved or a scuba suit, someone's air supply always gets nicked. And yes, okay, we're talking about 1997, so there's a lot of stuff in my memory where this situation is replicated, but I'm pretty sure. That Voyager was not the first science fiction property to hatch out. Oh, I'm stuck in space and I'm going to die and I'm going to have to confess my deepest secrets and acknowledge my own inadequacies uh, in a moment of redemption. Boring. It, 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 the method by which they've decided to do this does not add to the personal drama between the characters. It subtracts from it because it makes it more stilted. It makes it more forced it makes the dialogue less natural, you know, th- by doing it this way, by trying to make it more sciencey, I guess, or science fictiony, they actually harmed the drama that they were trying to create. I mean, not only was it already, as you have so adequately noted, um, shall we say derivative, and uh, that this is not an original idea, uh, not only did they steal the idea from other people who did it better than them before them, uh, it harmed their intent, which was to build this relationship up. And we get several cutaways back to this while uh, Seven of Nine finds her inner Jesus and decides to give, you know, like she she has this moment where she remembers, oh, yeah, uh, I remember these guys. They they had this thorium thing they used to make energy. I, we totally took that information about how they did that. So I could like cook up real quick away from them to do that. And literally, like, apparently it takes her 15 minutes because she's able to create the device for the boneheads and give it to them 
while Bolana and Tom are still on the oxygen clock and not dead. It's I want very, it's very hand wavy. You know, I can't let, I, I cannot not ring the shuttlecraft bell. The most important thing to Voyager, the warp core that you only sent one rinky ding shuttle out. You don't one hear from type six. Yeah. Type nine or two or nine. It was a type six, not a type nine. You haven't heard from your chief engineer or your helms officer in like an hour, and they should have been back like 45 minutes ago. And for whatever reason, you're not tracking the fuck out of them with your long term sensors. Finally, Chicote is like, hey, you know, it's been a while. And he's like tapping his wrist on the watch like maybe we should. Uh, oh, yeah, let's uh, let's look for him. Send every other fucking shuttlecraft that you did not dispatch initially for whatever reason. Like, yeah, Voyager stranded. You could tell that they're in trouble. Send the other send the fucking life pods out to go after these guys. Like, it's just stupid and terrible. Finally, they kind of get impulse power and they come up. No, no, no. I don't even think that's what happened. They get swarmed. The the boneheads are like they come in and like. Hey, so uh, I brought my other friends and they need help, too. And you're going to help them because we know that your warp core is up the road since we snatched it. And you guys are fucked now. And you're going to give us everything you have and also hand over an ex-Borg person so we could, like, use her as a tinfoil pinata or whatever we're going to (laughs) do. Like, we want to just beat her up, I guess. You know, like, the idea behind their ingratitude and desperation isn't necessarily a bad one, but we spent no time getting to know these people, Mm-mm. so it doesn't matter. If they would have made it the primary focus instead of uh, what I'm going to call two spacesuits, one air can. <laughs> I, again, I think there would have been something really cool. Uh, the yeah. warp core is ejected. A deceptively passive force has now become hostile and is trying to especially if they built up time where like they were first they tried to help then they got a little annoyed like if we got like a build-up of like a fraught relationship there like uh, got to know more about their backstory who abused the Kazon? what were their name the the trade the trader the trabe the trade that's could have been the same type of deal and the trabe were fucking awesome that whole plot line was awesome and you could have had another like you said Hey, we thought you guys were cool and now you're dragging us into this terrible situation and abusing us and you guys suck after all. And now there's a problem. But no, these guys have uh, gone back on the word. They're totally ready to hose over Voyager and pick her parts clean. And it's the most limp wristed hand wave like seven of nine, who apparently has the entire memory back catalog of shit the Borg know in her little human brain. I'm sure she's got microchips in there or whatever, but like I thought that was silly that she would have this advanced technical detail from some speed bump species that they conquered however many decades ago. And she builds, yeah, this little doodad within 15 minutes while Tom and Bellana are are, you know, asphyxiating out there. And like, oh hey, here's this thing. And then the bonehead's like that's not enough. What am I going to do with this? And she's like, well, it's a template. You could just make more and, you know, get your replicators going. And he's like, oh, that's great. Hey, you know, maybe I was wrong about you. Uh, sorry, we wanted to, like, gang beat you and and eat you. <laughs> sorry, like, we asked for, for, for you so that we could probably abuse you until you die. Torture you as our prisoner and hold you accountable for the Borg atrocities. And hey, Voyager... Uh, 
you know, I know we were going to pillage you, but uh, you're free to go because you've bought me off with these glass beads and uh, whatever drama there could have possibly been here. We're just going to shuffle off in the most ramrody way possible so you can fly over and uh, get your crew member before they died. And to be clear, are we supposed to assume that Voyager has taken the warp court, reinserted it, and flown back? Yeah, they back? never actually they don't actually mention that. It's maddening. They're like, oh, you're free to go. Am I free to go with my critical piece of technology, you bone fuck? Like, give it back. <laughs> yeah, but even if they get it, like, Bolana and Tom are down to like half an hour worth of air. I don't even know if I could change the batteries in my remote control in half an hour let alone reinsert a warp core, recalibrate it, and fly back to wherever the fuck uh, my stranded crew members were. Because, you know, we're too good to send out another shuttlecraft. They're suddenly a rare commodity. I I don't know. It's it's stupid. Uh, I was expecting at the end when uh, Balana was going to mumble out her I love you for Voyager to appear and beam them on right as she was about to say the words and that, you know, it would be further suppressed. But instead she tosses out there that she loves Tom and Tom's just like, Oh yeah, that's cool. Here's a hug. No reciprocation. Not even an, I, I know there's not even like a cool guy. Yeah. Han Solo they, moment. They, Oh, they tried so hard to, to like give a Han Solo vibe off of there, but it just doesn't work. It's just, it's just not good. Uh, and then they just rap on them, beaming them back. Like, and what a, that's just you giving up. Fuck off. You know, like, come on. So I, I don't know what the hell happened here because we had some cool Balana fleshing out of her being this Klingon nerd who has to come to grips. And, and I did like while she was out there, she's like, I don't have honor. And for the first time that bothers me. And there's like some character growth there. So you've got good Balana character growth. You've got uh, some nice insight into Neelix's masochism. You've got seven of nine in this impossible show-off costume. You've got a fucking warp core ejection. You've got some cool-looking aliens. We've got a warp core hostage situation. And even with all this stuff that kind of sounds great on paper, it's just this boring-ass disappointing melodramatic shit 90s episode it is i mean you you said it all perfectly there are pieces here that should have made this episode interesting and none of it's used correctly and instead it's a boring turgid mess that is laughable in some ways uh and disappointing in others and ultimately all i can think of is did they actually put plastic nipples on Cherry Ryan's costume or is she just frigid right now? Uh, I don't know, man. That that costume has to have I don't want to keep it's ribbed. It's like, oh, it's so and there's got to be some pretty heavy like prosthetics that those can't be that can't just be her under spandex there's, there's got to be some heavy shape oh yeah there's definitely some boning in there like i'm not saying i'm not doubting the the power of jerry ryan's at personal assets but come on this is that's some enhancement that's some technological know-how right there that's, you can uh, see that, you can see the the boning like in the suit too that's all courtesy like, of the I, doctor man remember he's the one who built her out that's uh that's that's his frankenstein's bride 
even the fact it's boring again we we go back to like how i think they this episode specifically has started to recategorize what chakotay balana and tom are for the sake of giving those traits to seven of nine as the outsider it's a it's a bad combo man um i don't really have anything else i want to say about this episode i think this this is easily the worst episode of season four for me and i God. Well, we've only just begun, so you don't have too much to compare it to. Even go back into season three, man. I This was just a waste of time episode. And that's that's the big offender in my book. What are we watching next week? We're going to move into season four, episode four, Nemesis. I see a dude in a green, what is supposed to be a camo t-shirt with a very clearly uh, Earth-type assault rifle. And Chakotay, Commander Chakotay's shuttle is hit. Oh, also, I'll point out, we did get a shuttlecraft explosion. So it's been a while since we've scratched a shuttlecraft. It it is the Cochrane. So RIP, that's the first stab that they got at erasing threshold. But Commander Chakotay's shuttle is hit by enemy crossfire and crashes on a planet in the midst of war. Is this the episode where the local aliens are afraid of dying facing the sky? <laughs> what a what a what a strange detail for you to remember. I caught I mean I've seen a few Voyager episodes here and there but I it always like the the aliens using like steel belted cables to like keep dying people from rolling over so they could face the earth because they believe that when you die your spirit comes out of your face and if it doesn't go into the planet it'll be lost in space forever. It's a pretty scary concept. I think that's why it's stuck with me. I remember very little about this episode, so I actually don't remember if that's the case. Well, it looks like a crappy episode. We just got through with a crappy episode, and my concerns, I think, are starting to come true that we are in the the boring part of Voyager. There are some questionable episodes here at the beginning of of season four. I, I assure you that this season also has possibly the very best episodes of Voyager, but I'm looking at the list of like where we are now through four, eight, which is one I know is good. And it's uh none of these look like they're going to be great. So well, hopefully they're terrible. We've so got a rough fun. month ahead of us, my friend of, of, of Voyager experiences. We will get to good stuff. I promise you the year of hell is in this season and that is some good shit. Uh, but yeah, it's, we, we've got, uh, we've got some day of honors ahead of us. All right, man, let's, uh, let's wrap this bad boy up. Thanks again to everybody for watching, uh, watching. Thanks to everyone for listening to Vigor Please, April Voyage of the Delta Quadrant. You can always email us at VigorPlease at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at VigorPlease. You can subscribe to us on iTunes. You can listen to us on Spotify. You can listen to us on Google Play. Uh, or even on YouTube, if you like to consume your content that way. Uh, Vigor Please in any of those platforms will find us. And as well, we have our V'ger Please Trauma Support Group on Facebook. Uh, if you'd like to join, all you have to do is ask. We'd love to have you and join in the discussions and memes about the show that gets that gets shared. It's a good time. And uh, until then, see you around.